0: are listening to Suno. I'm M.K. Shankar for Suno at the International Oral History Conference in Bangalore. We spoke to Albert Lichtblau at the Oral History Conference. He's from Vienna, Austria and has followed the life of a working-class Jewish family that fled to Kenya. He also shares with us an uplifting tale of a concentration camp survivor. Nobody
1: told us anything about oral history so my first interview was just a disaster because I was working on a on a rent strike and I went to the building where the rent strike took place seventy years ago and asked people, "Do you remember this rent strike?" And the people said no, and I didn't have another question, so I found out that I have to do something about the way of asking people and approaching them. So, but um, anyway, since then, it just, was just a fascination meeting people and to hear their stories and to hear their ways how they see the past. And in Austria it's very difficult because we had the Second World War, Mm -hmm. we have different narratives and I'm from the post-war generation Mm -hmm. and the war generation very much felt attacked by us because Mm -hmm. we always were asking and there was such a big silence about what they did. So this was also confrontational. Mm -hmm. Yeah, anyway, but it was a so fascination and still going on and we still love to meet people and it's always like opening a new world yeah before i ask you about some interesting narratives that
0: you've been able to gather austria was a flashpoint for the second world war
1: mm-hmm.
0: especially the third Reich and the fuhrer mm-hmm. coming there there's a memoir uh, but he writes about other things eric candle won the nobel prize mm-hmm. for his work on memory so he mm-hmm. talks about Austria. So I just want to know, as an oral historian, have you been able to understand this psyche of what ha- actually happened? Why did that sudden change happen from a classical to an extreme position, which, was, which led to a lot of turmoil? Um,
1: that's one thing about Austria. I told you about the silence. Uh, so the group on the, let's say, perpetrator sides, whatever this means, you know, those who... Had to join the army or join the Nazi party, so they were really on the perpetrator side. They they didn't want to speak out. And There were good reasons for that because after the war, if you um, you could have get into troubles. So the problem for us always was that we never got interviews, which which were very useful. So there was a very very little group uh, who was ready to to speak out, and this group. From my own experience I know two people I interviewed and they got troubles after that because it became public Mm -hmm. so we made more or less by this situation we were forced to interview uh, victims Uh, and we had to use documents and other archival materials to to understand uh, about how you know things changed in Austria so but this is a different story it's it's it there are different sources more or less
0: is there a shadow of the past yeah. in your when you speak to people in your researches today? Yes. Do you find a shadow of the past? Well, or
1: there's a very strong need for silence and normality, mm-hmm. and you know what we do is to to attack the silence more or less and to and, and to open up a kind of new discourses about mm-hmm. what happened, but how people were involved, because there were really, many of them were involved, especially in the war in the East, mm-hmm. Eastern European countries. Um, and we had big, tr- well, we had tr- big fights mm-hmm. about, problem, about history, mm-hmm. really, I mean, it's really tough, mm-hmm. including shouting, you know, uh, yeah. Is it, there is see,
0: no, there is no undercurrent of tensions any longer? Um, because the in Germany you have, you have occasionally you know, neo Nazis coming yeah, up, and so, still there. so do you still have that in yeah. Australia being a very, very conservative
1: core of Europe? We still have this. I mean, we also have a very strong right wing party mm-hmm. and right wing populist party, and the Second World War is always one of the topics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's ongoing.
0: <laughs> how does oral history, do you think, how is it going to humanize or make uh-huh. any difference to? It?
1: A society um, like yours? Well again about Austria, so I, I mentioned that we, we interviewed a lot of uh, victims, so most of the victims who survived didn't live in Austria anymore because they had to escape, otherwise they would have been killed. Only a few came back, so we did interviews all over the world. Uh, by the way, also there was a special project by me about immigrants to India and to Asia. Um, And for me, it was important to understand, and this is a more or less general human question about forced migration. And you can learn a lot, you know, just to listen to this special group, for instance, because it was a forced migration. So, you know, it came overnight, more or less. People had to leave. But the experience was that they felt home before, Mm -hmm. that they were very affiliated to the culture of the place in Austria. And it made it very difficult to, you know, to move somewhere else. And suddenly you are more or less uprooted, but you still have your roots. Yeah. And this is one of the challenges in your life. We did a lot of interviews, and, and I think we understood really very much about what it means to to have this experience. Yeah. Just to give an example, um, I always ask about dreams. And there's a regular dream, well, I found it out in four memoirs or interviews. So people dream that they they never went back to Austria, so they lived in their, you know asylum country. They mm-hmm. dream that they come home, go to their former apartment, want to open up the apartment, and, and wake up. That's so a dream which, you know, repeated all the time, again and again. The trauma. Yeah, it's a kind of trauma dream. And then the so the solution was to go back to go back to the real place, to go back to the real house yeah. and to go there if you go into the apartment or not, then the dream stopped. So this is one of these experiences you can share for instance. Yeah. And I think almost I'll, I'll Friday yeah. Very coincident, <laughs> like the frightened fri- <laughs> of yourself in Austria. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to ask about this. Yeah. And, and as I found out that there's a special dream, I asked people about mm. dreams just very often. Okay. And I think you can use it for, for migration nowadays. You know, we have many mm. refugees now from Syria, from African mm. countries, and they have similar experiences. And I think it's it's important to share experiences. Mm. So because if you have these experiences and you really have to escape overnight, it's seems it's your own individual experiences but it's a it's a general experience Mm -hmm. and you can learn from each other so this is something which we can bring in
0: Mm -hmm. so any other story that you have that you'd like to share with us something that's really touched you and also that points to the possibilities Mm -hmm. for oral history in general
1: I mean usually these are the stories that shocked me (laughs) which (laughs) I don't want to share Mm -hmm. uh, because they're you know very challenging well, I also work with film, which means that I not only work with one person and I work together. Well, for instance, we did, a, we did a, a film about the visit of a survivor, or other survivors and, and their children. Uh, this was a special project for in Mauthausen. It was the biggest concentration camp in Austria, with many sub camps. And uh, it was a camp for various groups. But this, in this case, I interviewed a Jewish survivor from Poland, and he brought his uh, two daughters to the concentration camp. It was not the first time, and we filmed this. And there were two, we had little time, they only had two hours there at the, at the site, and there was little time. And there were some, two things were very impressive. Uh, you know, I asked the person, the survivor, what was the, if, you, if you're at home, is there a place you think of mm-hmm. here? And he said, it was the glory, because this was a killer. They had to carry stones, and if you were too weak, you know, they just uh, pushed you down the mountain, and things like this. So there was a death stair, and it's still there. Uh, and we walked in, we went there, in the middle of the death stair. There was a group, a Russian group, yeah. uh, and it, I think it had to do with the camera because they started to sing for the survivor. Yeah. he could speak Russian, yeah. so they started to sing in the middle of the death stair, mm. it's a very sad place, mm. and they invited him to dance, and the survivor danced with one of the young singers of this group, mm. and for me this was something very important, because how can you dance in a concentration camp on a death stair, it really gave me to think about it, and I think he had good reasons. Because he's a survivor. He can celebrate that he survived. And I never could do this. I mean, there's no reason for me to dance there. But he has good reasons. And I thought this was a beautiful moment. Because all these stories are very sad and traumatic. But these people are very strong also. I mean, they, they learned to do something with this experience in a positive way. I mean, not only the positive, it's still traumatic, but somehow uh, we can learn what, what can you do if you really have big problems in your life, and how can you manage it, and they give us hope. And this is one of these moments. Excellent. Thank you, Albert. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and we can use it. <laughs>